Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, you're in for a real treat. We have Jillian Hellman. She's the founder and CEO of Realty Mogul, and she is an absolute powerhouse. Uh, we get into so many uh, like awesome topics today that I, I just, we needed to have 10 hours with her, but we got through, <laughs> we got through so much with her. And I think what you're going to really appreciate is, is really her thinking and approach around the current market. Uh, they are doing a lot of business. They've done 50 transactions for company this year. Uh, this is not, you know, someone who's dabbling in real estate investing. So she knows what's going on in the market and she needs to know. So that way she can be, you know, keep growing her business uh, and doing right by the investors. So I love what she said without saying what she said. I love what she said because any of us, no matter how big or small your portfolio is, you can take something from that landscape and do the best you can with the current market. Absolutely. And they have more than 19,000 units. So they create their own data, right? Uh, as Lisa says, she's running a big company and she is the CEO. She has a lot of things going on. And we talked about self-care as well. How does it look like for her? How did she make the decision to shift when things were not looking like as she wished? And how can you live the life that you want? Start thinking about this right now. We have some very like powerful questions that we can ask ourselves now, not tomorrow. So enjoy this episode. TurboTax experts make all your moves count. Filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side hustled your way to some extra income, flipped a house, or finally bought your first rental property, your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Hey, everyone. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show, where we are on a mission, right, Andressa, to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. That is that is what we're up to. And that's what creates the, the purpose behind everything we're doing now, correct? Indeed. Indeed. So uh, so excited to have uh, Jillian on our show today. We've had her on uh, various speaking opportunities of, of throughout our community and just so excited we never had you on our podcast. So really excited to have you on today. Thank you for your time. Uh, and we're just going to absolutely amazing um, background and just knowledge base. Just be, just get ready. Um, just get ready for just tons of, of amazingness coming from this woman. She's a powerhouse. So thank you, Jillian, for making time to be with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
excited, excited to jump into her because she's just, I learned always things from every time I've talked to Jillian or I've heard her speak. I'm, I always take, I have so many takeaways. So personally, so um, we're going to jump into Jillian's story here in a moment. Uh, Andressa and I, every time we, we come back with all of you, our amazing uh, listeners, our amazing community, we like to share just a quick tip, something useful, hopefully that you can bring into your, there uh, are three pillars, either your investing business, um, running your investing as a business, which is very important. So we focus on business and obviously self-care, right? Doing it in a way that works for you. Uh, and it's not just crazy. So mm-hmm. those are the tips we try to focus on, right, Andressa? And you Indeed. are on this time. So what yes. what do you have to share with us? So so this morning, I took my my son to, to school and on the way back driving, I was, uh, it's, the neighborhood is very beautiful. You, you know, have the different houses and, and nature around it. And then it daunted to me that um, very, I, I felt very grateful for the life that I have right now. And then I started thinking about a couple of years ago, I think about two years ago, more or less, I did an exercise where I wrote down how my quote unquote ideal perfect day would look like. How would that look like? So I would wake up in the morning and there was a specific neighborhood that I would like to to be at. I didn't want to go into traffic. So convenience to drop off my kid at school was something that I really wanted to do and then come back and I decide my, my, what I do with my day, nothing crazy. It was very, and I have the paper and I looked at it and I was like, (laughs) I Mm. am literally living that Mm. right now. And it, it, it came like, I'm super grateful for it. And I understand what a privilege to pick up, have the time to pick up my kid at school every day and have a conversation with him on on the way back home. How many people out there don't get to have that one-on-one time Mm -hmm. or, 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 or do that or whatever it means to you. But I highly encourage you to do this exercise at home, how your day will look like what, what does it matter for what really matters to you? What is important to you? And you can do even like a week, right? Sometimes the days are not going to be perfect, but you can shift things around uh, during your week. So I encourage you to do that exercise and you'll be surprised when you really like, oh, I'm really living that right now. So I'm really like grateful. That's really cool. That's awesome. And it, and it is something that's like, not when I have all these things, but like, what does that actual day look like? Right. Very different. So mm-hmm. um, that's really cool. That's very, very, very inspirational and very helpful to, for all of us because it changes. Our perfect days may change too as we get older. Yeah. <laughs> like I just want to be by myself. And when an earlier, you like <laughs> want to be around all these people. No, that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm, I know your vision and I, I know you so well. And that makes me very happy to hear too for you. Mm-hmm. All right. So and ladies in our community, share what your perfect day looks like. That's a little little uh, ask of you so we can get some conversation going. Yeah. Uh, all right. Without further ado, Jillian, thanks so much again for being here uh, with us and in our community and just sharing all your amazing knowledge with every time we, we connect with you and talk to you. We always It's always a pleasure. So um, we always like to ask the ladies that we have on our podcast, what propelled them? And I know you're um, you're you know, an entrepreneur, you're an investor, you have so many different hats and, and had successes in so many different areas. But for you, I'm going to be, I want to ask this, um, what propelled you to get into investing and also to, you know, start the business that 
you've grown tremendously. Yeah, I, I think I was just sort of wired for it as a kid. You know, I was the kid who at eight, nine years old was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Like if you asked me who my favorite author was when I was 10, 11, 12, it was David Bach, right? Who writes about like retirement <laughs> yeah. strategies, literally as like a 10 year old child. It, it sort of, you know, made no sense. Um, but that was just what I was into. I was into you know, compounding wealth and into understanding, you know, the money business as, as my family, you know, would call it at all of those dinner table meetings. So I I just was fascinated by it as a child. I read a lot. Um, You know, my family was in the real estate business, so I definitely had a a head start. Uh, My grandfather had built a property in Los Angeles. Uh, My family was managing it. I got involved in that when I was 16 years old because I got a license. So, you know, I could drive to the property, which is about 45 minutes an hour from where where my family was living at the time. Um, But, you know, I I just loved it. And I I sort of always knew that I wanted to go into the quote unquote money business. Uh, I went to university and then I came out and I went to work for a bank. I actually enjoyed working for a bank. You know, one of those weird entrepreneurs that actually was a good employee. You hear of a lot of entrepreneurs who are like awful employees and got fired and they sort of went into entrepreneurship because they had no other choice. They were they were unemployable. Um, that wasn't me. I'm, I'm relatively structured. And um, so I, I had a really great career at the bank, but always knew that I wanted to start a company. Um, always knew that I wanted to go into real estate investing. I actually tried to get a job in real estate. So this was almost 10 years ago now, which was really before like, the women's movement in real estate really before okay. there was, you know, real push to diversity. I think if I had tried to get a job today, I probably would have gotten one, but no one would give me a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it was because I was a woman. So, you know, I sort of made it sound like that maybe, but I don't think that's why I was. I think it was because I was so far along in my career. I was a VP at the bank and I had some real estate experience. I was involved in doing um, two bank takeovers during the great financial crisis when you know, everything just went to crap. And we did two FDIC assisted bank transfers. And I was very involved in sort of sorting through that real estate book and figuring out which loans we want to keep, which loans we not want to keep. But I didn't have any traditional real estate experience. I was never, you know, an analyst. I didn't go from an analyst to an associate, to a senior associate, to a VP. And so suddenly I found myself as a VP in banking, unable to get a real estate job. And I tried to go backwards I tried to go from being a VP to being an analyst, even with like a huge pay cut, right? I mean, at, at a VP level, you're making, you know, $200,000, $250,000. At an analyst level, you're making $65,000. And I said, like, I don't care about the money. I just want to learn, right? And how can I learn this business? And how can I go work for someone that I really respect? And for, you know, probably nine months, I tried to get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, in real estate specifically. I tried to move within the bank in real estate and I went to my boss and I said, look, I'm going to leave. I want to go do real estate. Can you get me a job in the real estate department? And, you know, they couldn't do that. Tried to apply for all these jobs. So I just said, you know, forget it. Um, and it was about that time when the Jobs Act came out, which is kind of the piece of legislation that predicated the business that we've built today. Um, and I said, I'm going to go start a real estate company. You know, I know enough from being exposed on the family side. I know enough you know, voracious reader. So I'm constantly reading about real estate, whether it's, you know, full end-to-end books or, you know, um, news articles and, and the like. Um, so I, I understood banking, I understood strategy, I understood marketing, I understood finance, I understood real estate from, you know, the family side and also the bank takeovers. Um, and that's when I started the company. But like the reoccurring joke is I couldn't get a job in real estate. So I had to start a real estate company. <laughs> Wow. Take a deep breath, people. <laughs> Let's talk about it, right? If Jillian couldn't find a job in real estate, we are having a problem here. So Jillian, uh, after years, right? I'm 
looking at your 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 bio here. So you built a, a digital digital platform uh, to invest in over four billion of real estate value and about sixty five percent that in multifamily and more than nineteen thousand apartment units. So let's let's break that down. Did you have that vision when you started? Because a lot of women don't get started if they don't have the entire plan figured out. They don't take that first step. But I want to hear from you. When you started, did you envision how big your company is right now and the impact that you have? Or what was your vision at that time? Yeah, so so maybe we start with mission. So our mission is to help individual investors live the lives they want by generating wealth through real estate, right? That's why we exist. That mission has never changed. So, you know, a lot of people will talk about pivoting their company. Um, so our mission has never pivoted. We've, we've always wanted that to be the mission. I, at, you know, when I started the business, I think to myself, you know, we're going to be involved in 10 billion of real estate transactions or 4 billion of real estate transactions where we are today. That number was not like a number that was etched in the in stone somewhere, right? The mission certainly was, but we adapted a lot. You know, in the very early days of the business, the, the first types of transactions that we started with, we were a hard money lender. So we were doing hard money lend loans on single family fix and flip properties. That is one of my least favorite businesses in real estate. And we can talk about that and why, you know, if you if you if you want um at some point later in the show, but so, so we definitely pivoted from how we accomplished that mission. We started in single family fix and flip. Then we went into commercial loans as well. So we were originating commercial loans on all types of properties. Um, and we were also in the equity business, which is the core business of Realty Mogul today, um, which is really our equity business, allowing investors to invest in you know, equity or preferred equity and real estate transactions. Um, so the mission's never changed. How we accomplished that mission has changed. But I wouldn't say you know, that I had it all perfectly mapped out. You know, you you just, things evolve, right? And you learn and things change. Um, but I had the mission mapped out, but not all the steps to accomplish the mission. I love that. And I, I just wanted to reiterate to, to the women listening, it's, I, I think that's so important to, to be really purposeful and mission oriented. And some people might be like, this is a business, you know, it's not a nonprofit. We always, you know, a lot of people think nonprofit and there's a mission statement. But I don't know why, but I, I people are like, I don't, I don't need to be, it's, it's about making money and, and what are my goals and what's my, you know, but I think the mission and the purpose is like the lifeblood of any organization or any endeavor. Um, and even just take it one step further, what's your personal mission statement? And so, you know, so many times I know Andres and I, like even just starting our community, um, that was the first thing we did was to create a mission and to like be really like, focused on it, right? And we ask ourselves all the time, is this aligned with our mission? And if it's not, then we don't do it, like kind of thing. So I just, it seems like such obvious for for so many people, but I don't think a lot of people are really, that really they don't do that on a daily basis. They're very clear on their mission, very clear on their purpose. And they literally use it as a guiding light to navigate where they go and how they do it. I, I just don't think a lot of people do that. Enough, enough people do that. So just want to reiterate that and just speak to that. Um, so a couple of things, you know, as we as we dive into your story, um, you know, you're you have been so amazing to share um a lot about kind of forecasting. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, uh, but I'm really curious to get your insight into what's happening in the current market 
And I know uh, a couple of things we talked about last time, even in just in our, our conversations is multifamily, how hot multifamily is. So I'm curious to just get your insight into just the general marketplace, what you're seeing now and where you see it going, especially for, you know, women that are listening to this, they're, 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 they're ramping up They're you know, they could be in various types of niches, but what are you seeing on your end in terms of where our, our listeners and our community can be mindful of that kind of global, you know, not global, but that, that landscape, that economic landscape that you so eloquently share. And I know you, you know, tons about because of what you do in your business. So, um, yeah. It's a big question, but I, I want to get your insight on that. I want to make sure we go there. <laughs> yeah, overarching, I'd say it's it's a scary time to be thinking short term. Um, you know, my belief is that real estate is one of the best risk adjusted returns and asset classes in the country. But you have or you should have a long term perspective, right? So it's it's a it's a very scary time to be investing right now, and the reasons are that we've really never experienced an economy like this before. Like we should have seen a market downturn during COVID and it didn't happen, right? It didn't happen because the feds pumped trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy and we printed, you know, I think it was, I think the quote is like an additional 30% of the monetary supply. Don't quote me on it, but it's somewhere in there. So, you know, we've got incredibly low interest rates. We've got the prospect for inflation, but who knows if we're actually going to see hyperinflation, We've got, you know, a, a federal government who has shown us that when there's problems, they're willing to print money, which in the short term is not such a bad thing, right? Don't get me wrong. Like we should keep people housed and we should keep people fed. We're, you know, the wealthiest nation in the world. But over the long term, that can start to get very scary because it debases the currency, right? And I think that's a big reason why, you know, crypto is so exciting for people right now is because you're seeing a, a debasement of the US dollar and not to, you know, go no and aside on crypto, we can later if, if there's interest. But um, so, so macro, I think it's really critical to have a long-term view of real estate over the long term. I'm incredibly bullish on real estate. And I think I probably will be, you know, for the remainder of my career, um, multifamily is a great place to shelter yourself from inflation. So if we do see inflation, you're going to see rents rise. Um, even if interest rates start to go up, you know, I think that the, the rental growth should supersede that. Um, but it's gotten very, very, very competitive. So I would say in the multifamily space, when you look at vintages of different real estate, and what I mean by that is, if we look at you know the the properties that were bought between 2002 to 2008, and then properties from 2009 to you know today, really, we're still you know in the in the post Great Financial Crisis of 2018 vintage. Um, and when when I first started investing um, at the realty mogul level, and when we first started sourcing investment opportunities for investors, it was back in 2012. Hindsight is 2020, but we should have bought everything under the sun in 2012. Like literally, it would have been if we all knew. <laughs> if we all knew, right? But you look back and you go, okay, it's been you know almost 10 years, or you know, and okay, so what does the next 10 years look like? And yes, we're likely to go through another downturn, but if you can hold onto the other side of that. You know, I still believe real estate is one of the best, you know, asset classes available to individual investors, but the return expectations have to change. So when we were underwriting in 2012, you know, a lot of multifamily assets, we were underwriting to a 16, 17, 18%, you know, net IRR returns. Today, if we were buying that same property, it's probably a 14, 15, maybe even a 13. But when I look at the other available avenues for, you know, me to deploy capital on a personal level, I don't know where else to go. 
right? Even if returns have come down two or three or 4%, you know, outside of having some exposure in the stock market and outside of having some exposure maybe in alternatives or venture or, you know, private equity, if you have the wealth to be able to have that kind of diversification, I still think even at a 13, 14, 15 in multifamily, that's still the best risk adjusted return that I know how to deploy my capital in. So even though those returns have come down. So I would say, I think returns are going to continue to come down because of the competition. Um, when I started Realty Mogul 10 years ago, or almost 10 years ago, I think that real estate was an alternative asset class. Today, I no longer think that real estate is an alternative asset class. And as much as I'd like to pat myself on the back and say I was you know, part of that, I'm like a minuscule part of that, right? Realty Mogul is a minuscule part of that trend because a lot of it is driven by you know, these big pension funds, these big endowments, these big sovereign wealth funds. Um, but in lieu of real estate no longer being an alternative asset class, there's more and more competition. So that's bringing returns down. Um, and pricing has been brought down, or sorry, pricing has gone up as a result of that, that supply and demand imbalance, but also as a result of interest rates. So it's, it's a really, really fascinating time. Um, I like long-term business plans. I like the idea of holding through another recession. You know, one of the strategic decisions that we really have been pushing really since 2016, which is kind of hard to believe because we thought that there was going to be a recession sooner than there has been, right? There really still yeah. hasn't been one in real estate. Um, but we said, if we don't want to hold any of our assets through another cycle, we should be selling them, right? And so we started on this mm. sort of divestiture chain. Now we have another thesis, which is if we don't want to hold something because we're concerned about the climate change risk, we should be selling it. So we're working on selling some, some coastal assets now. Um, which is, you know, another thesis. But I, I think in general, I still don't know a better place to deploy my own personal capital. Um, and I think long term, real estate's going to do very, very well because of the, you know, likely inflationary pressures. But I'm afraid of short term business plans. I'm afraid of, you know, being able to predict the market in the next 12, 24, 36, 48 months. That makes so much sense. And I think that we can mitigate our risk much more when we're thinking about that. And it's not like a formula, like one thing fits all, right? It's what, as you're saying, now you're thinking about, you know, climate change and other, other, um, other, other line items that maybe was not on the table a couple of years ago. I want to also talk about, you mentioned the possibility of rents going up. However, places like uh, Brooklyn, New York, the rent control. So um, you mentioned that th there are challenge, quote unquote, challenging projects. And so share, share a little bit about how you handle that type of situation. If you already own it, you're getting ready of those properties or you just want to uh, ride the wave uh, until a better opportunity comes up. Yeah, politics are very dangerous in real estate. I'd say that's one of the you know key lessons that I've learned over the last decade that I don't think I appreciated as much you know a decade ago. Um, and there's been a lot of change in in politics over the last decade as we've you know we we don't have to talk about you know Republicans and Democrats or anything of that nature. But um, you know we own a, a variety of properties in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, the business plan for those properties they were rent controlled properties. The business plan for those properties was to buy out the tenants and push rents to market. And the government came in or the state came in and effectively said, that's illegal. You can't, you can't offer people money to leave their home, even if they want to go, right? Even if you want to go pay someone, you know, $100,000, which might mean life-changing money for them and it's their choice and they, you know, in my opinion, should have free will, that is now illegal, right? And so 
you know, did we make a mistake underwriting that originally? Was there some way that we could have foretold that? Like, it's one of those things that just some of the risks that you take in real estate investing, you know, I mean, I don't look back at that. I'm not upset at our underwriting. I don't think that we made a mistake. It's just, there's real risk in real estate investing, right? And sometimes it's property risk and sometimes it's climate risk and sometimes it's political risk. And, you know, we ended up being on the wrong end of the political risk there. And, and so the most critical thing is communicating that to investors, right? Not, not hiding, not pulling the covers over your head. It's pick up the phone, explain what's happening, explain that that is, you know, an asynchronous risk that happened on this transaction, that you're working through it. Um, but New York is fundamentally screwed because of this. I mean, it, it, it makes no sense to be an investor there. It makes no sense to put capital into these properties. And a lot of their properties are, you know, 100 years old. Um, it makes no sense to upkeep them. They, they have such a mess on their hands that there's no doubt in my mind that there will be a change. The question is, how long does it take, right? right. And that's when you have to make the decision of, are you better to hold on? Or are you better to try and salvage, you know, as much capital as you can to go redeploy that capital somewhere else where it may be put to better use? And that's really a decision that you have to make on a deal by deal basis, right? You have to look at the economics of the deal. And it's not only the deal, a lot of it is also the financing, right? Do you have a five-year interest-only loan where the property's cash flowing as a result of that? Do you have an amortizing loan where, you know, now you're having to pump money into the transaction? Um, you know, is there, is there a market for that asset? Is it totally distressed? I mean, in, you know, in the height of COVID, nothing was selling in New York because you had, you know, COVID and people moving out of the city. And then you also have these rent control issues. Um, but it's, it's unsustainable. So having stringent rent control laws like that is totally unsustainable for a city. Um, you know, unfortunately, I don't think the politicians actually understand real estate to understand the degree of damage that they're doing to the housing stock. And albeit the intention is an accurate intention, which is let's maintain affordable housing. What ends up happening is you end up losing affordable housing because those properties get so dilapidated and so screwed up that they're going to end up being unsafe to live in. Right. And no one's going to come in and deploy capital to fix them because there's no economic incentive to Right. So you end up in sort of like this, you know, very non-capitalistic environment, um, which hurts investors like us. Right. Like we're, we're getting hurt by that. Um, but worse off is that the affordable housing stock is getting hurt by that. Right. So there's actual, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to solve the problem in the entirely wrong way. And, you know, I that segues me into like when I think you were talking about personal vision, like one of the things on my personal vision, and I don't know how far out it is, but like. I feel a calling to be involved in politics in some way, shape, or form, particularly in housing policy, understanding the economic side of it, understanding you know a lot of the drivers, because our politicians are totally uneducated on this subject matter. Not all of them. Say that. Like, how about a hybrid uh, approach about creating affordable housing, but safer affordable housing? How can we create that and 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 make it work? We'll vote for you, Julian. It it starts with education, right? Like the real problem is not affordable housing. The real problem is education. The reason that these, you know, individuals can't afford housing is because they're not educated and they can't then get jobs where they can afford to live. So like the problem starts 30 years earlier, right? But neither here nor there. Yeah, no, I, I think I think what you're saying too, so I'm curious about that particular opportunity. You called the investors. How did you navigate that? Because- that within itself is really powerful for a woman listening, right? It's like you have a plan, the plan doesn't happen. Um, and that happens to all of us, you know, as, as investors. 
how did you how did you navigate that? You know, beyond obviously calling your you know the investors, like what was your next step, and then how did you kind of you know move through that? Yeah, so I guess there's a couple of pieces. There's the real estate piece, and then there's the you know investor side. So on the investor side, I mean, I don't know how to be anything but honest and transparent, right? Like to a fault, right? Like there's people who know me in my life, and they're like, just you know, don't don't tell everyone everything, you know, like have you know keep some things to yourself. And I'm like, that's just not how I operate, right? So I think it's be really open and honest with with investors or with the people in 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 life, right? If there's something that happens, just own it. You know, one of our core values at the company is own it. So. We don't yell if people make mistakes. We want them to take risks. We want them to try things. But if something doesn't go right, own it, right? And say, hey, that didn't work. And here's why. And here's what I'm going to do next time, right? And sort of learn from it and own it. Um, on the real estate side, again, every deal is slightly different. But you know, we, we started with brainstorming sessions. So what are all of the things that we can do to make this right, right? How do we... The challenge with, with New York and the rent controls is... I think, as we all know, and inflation is a big driver of this, expenses are going up, right? So, and, and costs are going up. So the cost of, you know, a refrigerator has gone up $75. The cost of an onion, or not an onion, an oven has gone up, you know, $35. The cost of an air conditioner has gone up $150. The cost of labor has gone up. So your expenses are going up. And, and meanwhile, because of the rent control laws, you can't push rents as fast as expenses are growing. So you're, you're inherently upside down. Right. And the longer that you go upside down, the, the worse the problem gets. So, you know, we we did a series of brainstorming sessions. You know, what does this look like? How can we cut expenses? Can we put a new property manager in? Can we refinance the debt? Um, you know, are there other opportunities? Are there government assisted programs that we can look at? You know, how do we how do we tackle and and also what was going on a lot in New York is even with the rent control laws, people were choosing not to pay rent because of COVID. And because of the eviction moratorium, which was at the federal level, but then there's also, you know, at the state level, and New York is one of the most renter-friendly states. So, you know, for people who effectively been told by the state that they don't have to pay rent, how do we incentivize them to pay rent, right? Or how do we work with, you know, nonprofits or government-assisted agencies? How do we get access to the rent relief bill? So we just, we, we, we brainstorm, right? It, it's not me in a vacuum making decisions. It's, you know, really smart people at our team who are brainstorming and who are helping us to solve this problem. Um, and then one foot in front of the other, you know? So in in one of the Brooklyn assets, we extended the debt um, on an interest-only basis. So, you know, the property continues to cash flow. Um, and and we hope that we can wait out. You know, there's a, there's a case right now. I don't know at what level it's at, um, but there's a case right now where there's a consortium of very large owners in New York who said, this is unconstitutional. You know, you, Mr. and Mrs. Government, have stolen from us because you've inhibited our ability to actually turn this into, you know, a, a financial asset that we used to own. And you've degraded so much value that, you know, you've stolen mm -hmm. from us. And so, you know, there's one part of me that wants to hold on until that can work its way through the court system. And, you know, hopefully logic will prevail. Um, and then there's another part of me that says, you know, you can redeploy that capital in places that you can earn, you know, a good return today. And is that the better solution? And so it's it's weighing those um, choices amongst each other, given all of the other facts, given where revenues are, given where rent collection is, given where expenses are, given where, you know, CapEx budgets are. I mean, the really sad thing about, about some of the Brooklyn assets is we had... Uh, very deep CapEx budgets. We were going to go invest, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars into these assets to make them more livable and to make them, you know, more mm. climate change friendly and to, you know, improve the housing stock. 
Well, suddenly we're totally disincentivized to do that. So immediately we stop CapEx, right? We're not going to go yeah. put money into a property that we can't recoup. That's just a poor financial decision. Um, so you have to weigh all of those things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think about I think about what you said, and, and, and it's a really, really helpful for the women listening to. It's like, you know, it goes back to your earlier conversation around the, the, the conversation around, do I want to hold this property? during the next downturn? That's like such a powerful question, which you can totally, you know, relate to the conversation you're going through that, you know, the brainstorming you're going through with your properties in Brooklyn. But like, I'm going through that. We're, we're, we're up in the air on whether to sell an asset here in New Jersey. And we've had, me and my husband have had multiple conversations about it. And the last conversation I brought to the table, like, you know, what is our long-term vision, you know, personally? Uh, and how do we get there with this asset or something we redeploy that money into? And so, you know, and it's really tough sometimes when you have a lot, it's, you've invested a lot in a property, you've invested a lot in an area and you really, you really want to see it get there and you know, it's going to get there at some point. Um, but you also have your other financial goals, personal goals, business goals. And so that's, you know, that was some of the conversation, but it's, it also comes down to very basically and something that we're, we're working through personally is just where do you want to spend your time, money, and energy? And, and I think that's, that's a question we have to constantly ask the business certainly, but ourselves, right? Where do we want to spend that time, money, and energy? And is it going to get us where we want to go, you know, long-term? So it's it's not easy sometimes. Like, do we just sell an asset or not? I, I don't think it's that flippant, you know. And I think it, it's a process, and you really have to keep the long term in mind. Uh, you know, women listening that are kind of dealing dealing with that as well, and and also look at everything around it as say, okay, you know, is this going to get to my, my goals? Um, not just financial, time, everything, even what how you started on dress at the beginning of the conversation, right? How am I spending my day? You know, because there's a there's a managing piece. So I just wanted to put a make make a note of that for for the woman listening. I think it's so powerful to consider and ask those questions. And and you said something really beautiful, you know, and you sounds like you have some such an amazing team around you, which is so helpful and so so important. Women ladies, if you don't have this powerhouse team built yet, you do have a powerhouse team. You have our community. Don't figure this stuff out yourself. We've got to stop figuring this stuff out ourselves. Cause it could be overwhelming. So I just want to make sure you know, just sometimes we think we need to have this like team that we, everyone's on payroll and everyone's an owner. Well, no, you might, your team might just be women that care about you and that have your best interest in mind. So I wanted to mention that. Don't forget, you know, have each other's back. Um, and just, I know you want to probably say something too. I know. Yeah, um, no, I would recommend like at the beginning, you can have the community, but start hiring people, not hiring, buying people's time as you build your team because it's inevitable. You just, my goal is to replace myself. Jillian, my question to you is when women in real estate, there's different different strategies and, and the content is a little bit overwhelming out there. So uh, for, for the women that are um, getting started in real estate, obviously they need to look at their goals and different take different consideration but for the women that are are already experiencing real estate and they are debating into x y or z let's talk about the importance of focus and becoming a specialist and being known by that what would you recommend uh questions for them to ask themselves in order to become that specialist I mean, real estate's all about arbitrage, 
right? So it's one of the it's one of the only markets where you can sort of insider trade, and that's not illegal, right? And and so it's it's all about arbitrage. Um, I think it's getting much harder to do arbitrage in multifamily. So one of the things that we're tackling with is like, you know, if we can't if we can't be better than the next group, or how do we be better than the next group, right? And what are the competitive advantages that we have? And we have a lot of data. I mean, with with nineteen thousand apartment units and the data flowing back on that, we know you know, which micro sub markets are doing well by our actual data, not by, you know, co-star or axiometrics or anything of that nature. But I think that, you know, it comes down to what are your, what are your life goals and what are your personal goals, right? Kind of to what Liz was talking about where, you know, if your goal is to be really in this business and doing it, you know, day in and day out, then maybe like very large opportunistic value add projects are really interested. If you love design, like maybe it is doing, you know, sort of like an Airbnb thing where you're doing interior design of all of those units. If you sort of want to set it and forget it, well, maybe it's triple net, you know, credit assets and you should go become a credit specialist. Um, you know, if you love math, you may want to focus on one piece of the market that's different than if you love, you know, interior designing as an example. So I, I think that it's it's figuring out what your strengths are and also figuring out what your goals are. Um, is the goal just to make money or is the goal to fulfill your time with something that's, you know, really fulfilling and really fun and really exciting? I mean, like I, I'm, I love math, right? I'm a math nerd. Like I still go deep into Excel financial models, which drives our, you know, analysts and associates nuts. They're like, is the CEO, like you shouldn't be doing that. And I'm like, it's fun. Like, I like to do that on Saturdays and Sundays. It's fun for me. Right. But I also like, you know, the design aspect. Right. And so I'm also involved in like, we're, we're going to pick uh, white cabinets and gray countertops, because I think that looks nice. Right. And so I get involved in that stuff, which, you know, in some extent, maybe I shouldn't be spending my time on, but it's fun for me. Right. I like the math side. I like the design side. Um, and, and I also like the credit side, you know, on the, on the office deals that we're doing and the triple net deals that we're doing, you know, I also will dig into the credit. I mean, I, there's nothing, this is going to sound super nerdy, but like, there's nothing more fascinating to me than one K's and one Q's. And being able to find these little nuggets of information about companies. I mean, when I first started Realty Mogul, I probably read 21Ks and 1Qs of publicly traded REITs, right? Just to <laughs> learn, like, what are their strategies? What are they buying? What are they selling? How are they doing it? Um, it's 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 insane what you have to disclose as a public company. Um, yeah. So I find that to just be totally fascinating. But But to answer your question more directly, I think that people need to figure out what is their strength? How can they play to that strength and what's their end goal? And then by figuring out your strength plus your end goal, combine those two together and figure out the, the vertical within real estate that's going to be the most fun. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting from finding the best guests to the maintenance to organizing the cleaners after every guest stay. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing or two about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. 
If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with a reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com backslash biggerpockets. Did you know that short and medium-term rentals often offer double the cash flow compared to long-term rentals? Well, it's true. And rental retirement just made investing in them easier than before. Now you can buy fully turnkey short and medium-term rentals that are newly built or renovated, leased, and managed. Maximize your cash flow, appreciation, and equity while the rental retirement team takes care of all of it for you. Plus, their creative financing options like interest rate buy-downs can get you a rate in the low fives. And their investor loans let you buy multiple properties with as little as 5% down, not 20%. 5% down. But why buy with rent retirement? They're investors just like you and me and rock one of the highest reputations across bigger pockets with more five-star reviews than any other company on our site. And I think that's a pretty big deal. To learn more, visit rentoretirement.com. That's rentoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing in some of the best cash flow markets today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com. Julian, I just want to take like a 360, right? Because hearing you speaking and how involved you are in your company and not because the sake of it, but because you have fun with that too. How self-care looks like to you? A very successful woman does not need to report to anybody, has a very successful team. How does self-care looks like to you? Um, so, so maybe just to rewind a little bit, uh, probably what was it? Maybe five years ago now I was super sick. So like super, super sick, uh, found out I had an autoimmune disease was just run to the ground. Um, I was spending, you know, hundred, 200 days a year on the road, running around from conference to conference, meeting people, you know, sort of like pushing the big ball up the hill you have to do when you start a company. Um, and I I was totally fatigued. So Monday through Friday, I was working, you know, probably 75, 80 hours a week. And then Saturday, Sunday, I was literally in bed. Like I was too exhausted to get out of bed, totally depleted adrenal failure, you know, like thyroid issues, just like a total wreck. Um, and so I got very, very interested in functional medicine. So I'm a huge believer in functional medicine, which is treating the root cause as opposed to treating the symptoms. So I got debilitating migraines. I was hospitalized for migraines. Um, and so my functional medicine doctor said like literally wrote on a prescription pad, weekly massage, like that was the prescription. Um, so that's probably the most important thing that I do is, you know, weekly or biweekly massages. Like I hold all of my stress and tension in my neck and my shoulders. Um, so that's a big part of my self-care routine. And then above and beyond that, it's, you know, supplementation. So I'm a big believer, you know, majority of America is vitamin D deficient. Uh, That's like, if I was going to say everyone should take one thing, that's it. I'm not a doctor, you know, talk to your doctor, et cetera. Um, But I'm a big believer in supplementation and then just eat healthy foods, you know, like eat real food, eat fruits, eat vegetables, um, try not to eat anything that comes in a box or in a package. Uh, So so that's, that's the kind of where I, where I focus um, Mm -hmm. is supplementation, massages and nutrition. 
I might add massages because I think, you know, my migraines, Liz knows about it. It really like takes me out of business when yeah. I have them. It just can can do it. So I'm going to. I'm going to add that. That that also could be a vitamin B deficiency too. So when Mm -hmm. it first happened, I started getting what are called trigger shots where they were shooting vitamin B into my neck and into my shoulders. Mm. Um, And then my sort of maintenance care was, uh, was a weekly massage. And by the way, I have not had a migraine since. So it's been, I've been doing this probably four or five years. I've not had a migraine since I started the protocol. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's really life-changing for the people out there that have migraines. You guys know how, how, how that impacts your life, your business. So I might check that out. Jillian, how did you basis that kind of conversation? I mean, how did you, we all know the importance of self-care, right? So the one listening and, you know, so many, you know, you pull 10 people out there, walk on the street. No one will be like, yeah, self-care is a horrible idea. Like, so it's, it's something we all know is important, but you got to the point where you were really down and out. And, you know, what caused you to actually like, make some new choices and shift some things around. I'm sure you had to make, I'm sure you had to shift, right? You had to mentally shift. You had to physically shift. You had to actually do with these folks, even though, oh, massages is an easy thing. You probably had to really like commit. And I mean, so I'm just curious. I think a lot of women listening, we know how important that is. We have such, so many things we want to do. So many, so many people we want to help, right? So much we want to take on. And, uh, it gets in the way sometimes of taking care of ourselves. Um, I know no one like that. I can't speak personally at all. Um, it's a joke, bad joke, but um, I think so many women struggle with that. So for you to stop what you were doing and make some new choices and commit to them, uh, what? How did you set yourself up to do that? What, what were some of the things you, you know, did thought? How are you? How did you move through that? I mean, I was debilitated. So like, I don't really think I had a choice, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, it, so I don't have a great answer to this because I wasn't one of the, you know, wise ones who didn't allow it to get to debilitating sure. before I, I handled it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but, you know, I, I I view that as one of the greatest gifts of my life because I now am super into functional medicine. I sit on the board of a functional medicine company called Next Health. Um, and, and I, and I've helped a lot of people through the experience that I've had. Like anytime I have an employee who's having, you know, reoccurring health issues. I ask them like, are you open to me sending you my like health Bible document? You know, and there sometimes they say yes. Sometimes they say no, obviously don't impose. You know, if they say no, most of the time they say yes. And I'll, I'll, you know, say, go get these 15 tests and start doing these things. And this is what really helped me. And like, it's transformative, right. For, for individuals. Um, but I think, you know, I, I was so debilitated and I'd had that, that experience that, I'm never willing to go back there, right? Like I know how bad that is. So as a result of that, self-care is really, really critical to me. And I actually find it much easier during COVID. Like I have way more time. I'm home. I've never been home this much since I started the company 10 years ago. You know, Um, I'm still traveling to properties. I've been on, you know, 40 airplanes. I'm not afraid to travel. Um, And I, you know, thankfully have not gotten COVID, but I, I... I'm home way more and I find it's easier to maintain when you're in a routine, when you're home, when you're cooking your own food. Um, it's much, much easier for me. And quick question before we start wrapping it up. I'm curious about your your circle, like your core. Who do you rely on? Is it a, a group of friends? Is Do you have a core team? Do you have a board members? Who do you rely on when things are, you know, as as we move through phases and, and aim to reach new goals. 
we have questions or not quite technical questions. I'm going to talk about that. But who is your, your support system? Yeah, I'd say my greatest support system outside of, you know, immediate friends and family, which are which are very important in my life, is I'm a member of Young Presidents Organization, which is called YPO. Um, and it's kind of like your own personal board of directors, right? So that's been very impactful in my life. Um, the idea in that sort of network is that you share the 5%, right? What's the 5% of your life that you wouldn't otherwise share, right? That you're not going to talk about on a podcast, that you're not going to you know, maybe share with even friends and family that are the closest to you because it's embarrassing or, you know, you just don't want them to know. Um, So I'd say that that's been a really, really important part of my life and an important part of my network and circle. Wonderful. I love that. And, you know, what's what's so helpful, like what you're saying too, and it's such a great point to think about is I think so many times we think, oh, once you get there, you don't need that as much. Or, you know, it's almost like this, this, but everyone no matter where you are in life, needs that circle of people who have your back and can help see things that you may not be able to see. Um, you know, you've been doing this for 20 years. You've built, you know, an extremely successful business and you see the importance, right, of having that circle. So um, women get that. It's not just for newbies or experienced people. It's for everyone. You need to have that kind of, that circle. So important. Um, Jillian, this is awesome. I just, I always, I always learn selfishly so much all the time whenever we talk. So thanks for being who you are. Um, Where can the ladies um, connect with you and learn more about all the great things you're up to? Yeah, if you want to sign up for Real to Mogul, go to realtomogul.com. It's free to sign up and you can just start watching deals that we're doing and hopefully learn from it. We, We host a webinar for every deal. So I find for people who are interested in you know, learning. These are like real live deals. You can ask questions, you can, you know, dig into them with, with no expectation to invest. If you want to invest, of course you can, but if you don't, that's okay too. And you can just use it as a, as a learning vehicle. Um, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. So I'm super active on LinkedIn. Um, kind of, that's the best way to find me personally, but on, uh, on the real to side, yeah, sign up and you can see real active projects. Well, we'll probably do about 50 transactions this year. So we're very active in the markets. We're active across geographies, across asset types. We've got operating partners in a lot of uh, a lot of markets across the U.S. So always encourage folks to just use it as a as a base to learn. Awesome! All this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first question for you, uh, Jillian, is: What's the most transformational book you ever read? most transformational book I've ever read. That's a hard one because I think that I'm like the product of all of these little nuggets from so many different places. Mm -hmm. Um, I did just read 80-20 principle, which was pretty transformational, like for the business and where like I want to be spending my time. Um, Because I'm, I'm, you know, every time you add, you know, 25, 30 employees, the job changes, right, as a CEO. And so that was really helpful as I'm thinking about, okay, what does this next stage look like going into 2022? We're, we're very deep in the throes of planning for 2022. So 8020 principle was really impactful. And it's funny because I resisted reading it. I was like, I know what the 8020 <laughs> principle is. You know, this is silly. Yeah. I'm not going to learn anything. And, and there were some like really good nuggets in there, which really helped me to think through um, the planning. So, you know, I, I think that's a great book. Um, I love the hard things about the hard things, which was Andreessen Harwood's book. Um, I, I thought that that was just fantastic and and really really helpful. I like Trillion Dollar Coach a lot. 
Um, I like Tribe of Mentors, which is the Tim Ferriss book. So I, I'm a I'm a really voracious reader. I wouldn't say it's just like one book, um, but those are a couple of my favorites. Awesome. The second question is you mentioned a little bit, but I will ask if you have any other. What is the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life, whatever balance means to you? I think it's definitely, you know, from the self-care side, it's definitely massages, but it's also just like taking time. So, you know, I'm Jewish. And, and one of the things that has become more and more impactful to me as I get older is like taking time off for Shabbat, like Friday nights, I'm like off my phone and I'm having dinner with family. And, you know, I didn't grow up in a hyper-religious family. Mm-hmm. Um, I've become not, not even more religious, just like more spiritual. And that's, that's more important to me to sort of you know, like wash the week away and and start anew. Um, so taking that time on Friday nights and taking the time on Saturday to kind of unwind and decompress and not feel like I have to work seven days a week. Mm-hmm. You know, for the first probably six, seven years of my company, I would like feel really guilty if I wasn't working on the weekends. And there's other entrepreneurs that are, and, and I don't feel that way anymore. So I think that's been an important part of it. Awesome. And the last question, which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Are they like books? Yeah. I mean, this one's probably my grandmother. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, probably not like books. It's probably my grandmother. I mean, definitely the most generous person that I've ever met. Um, so I, I think that's, that's my grandmother. Why is your grandmother? Why? Generosity. Just, generosity. just, yeah. I mean, uh, an amazing soul, an amazing human being, you know, taught, taught us generosity, you know, as, as young, young, young kids, um, and so that, that carries with me a lot, right. Of like, who do you want to be when you grow up? And I, I point to her as like someone who's generous, someone who's kind and also just ultimately patient, um, like just total patience that, you know, I, I strive to be that level of patience someday. Awesome. <laughs> Jillian, thank you so much for, uh, sharing your, uh, your wisdom and, and who you are and, and how you've create what the amazingness that you've created. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for sharing everything you did with our, our listeners and our community. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.